and welcome to the bus stop. This is the official podcast of the National School Transportation Association, and I am Kurt Mackison, Executive Director. And in today's membership minute, folks should be advised that a number of different uh, governmental agencies have issued warnings about malicious actors and cybersecurity activity that's been going on recently. Now, two of the government agencies that have issued these warnings are the NSA and the CISA. And it's important that uh, you engage your IT professional to understand the activity that's been going on. We suggest that you go to the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency website, and you can find that at www.us-cert.cisa.gov. Once again, that's us-cert.cert dot c-i-s-a dot gov for more information and to get onto their mailing list. Now at the bus stop today, we're so pleased to have a repeat guest, Charlie Hood from NASDIPS. Welcome, Charlie. Thank you, Kurt. Good to be here. Now, and, and the first question you're going to get is, please tell the audience what NASDIP stands for. <laughs> Good point. Uh, besides being the world's wor- besides being the world's most awkward acronym, uh, NASDIP stands for the National Association of State Directors of Pupil Transportation Services. That's great. As I mentioned, Charlie had been on podcast previously, and of course, we've interacted a lot, including Star Task Force. But to refresh the memory of our listeners, why don't you talk a little bit about NASDIPs in general and, and your membership specifically so people can put a face on the organization? NASDIP, the, you know, the state director's part in our name is, is slightly misleading. I mean, we've been in business uh, or been a, a you know, nonprofit corporation since 1968, but we're really about more than state directors. Our membership consists of about 400 individuals in total. Those individuals include a number of multiple representatives from individual entity from other entities so as an example we've got about 50 58 to 60 supplier council companies those are the business partners uh, with whom we state directors and others interact on and for on whom we depend for services everybody from the original equipment manufacturers of school buses to the software and service suppliers to the component suppliers people who make stop arms whatever it might be that go in a school bus and that uh, are part of the, the entire mix of the team who who keep school buses running. The uh, so we got about 58 to 60 companies with a number of representatives of those companies included in that 400 total members. We have about 52 state directors, and you may be wondering, well, why do we have 52? Well, a couple of states, uh, Indiana, for instance, uh, have co-state directors, where there are really two people designated at the state level. In that case, it happens to be the primary student transportation office representative for the Department of Education in Indiana, which is Mike LaRocco, our, our immediate past president, as well as Chris Kath, who is the head of the Indiana State Patrol, the the the, agent, the law enforcement agency that does a lot of the state inspections and deals with a lot of those issues. And it's fairly common for state directors mostly to be representatives of their state departments of education. But we also have a handful of states, including the Vermont, which is represented by Patrick McManaman, our current president, who just uh, was elected in November to that that represent departments of motor vehicles and uh, and Pat Mc happens to be a compliance officer monitoring person who deals with CDL issues and vehicle inspection issues and other things for his 
Vermont's DM, DMV. So, but for the most part, state directors uh, represent the educational community, even if they're in the enforcement arena. We also have about 25 state associations represented. We have a state national associations council that is uh, the executive directors and presidents and leaders of participating state associations. And we have sort of a catch-all category for associates. Those are people who we just can't figure out where else they belong among those three previous uh, membership categories. So that's our 400 members. Our mission briefly is to do anything we can to help states uh, and local school districts do their jobs more effectively, get kids to school safely and, and efficiently. We issue guidance. We write position papers. We provide training and uh, via our conference and otherwise, our annual conference and otherwise. We engage in partnerships with federal agencies that I'll talk about a little bit more later, perhaps. But all the federal agencies that are involved in any way in regulating or um, providing guidance to student transport providers, public and private, we deal with those agencies. So that, in a nutshell, is what NASDIPS is about. Yeah, it's interesting in terms of going through your descriptions, because as you know, I testified before the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, and that's not normally a space where we operate or student transportation in general operates. But of course, due to the COVID-19 pandemic, we are where we are. But in terms of a description, I, I tried to relate to them that we were, you know, student transportation was a hybrid between the transportation and educational sectors. But you see that with your membership, as well as seeing that, you know, most of the policy decisions or many of the policy decisions that go on are locally controlled with respect, you know, to these issues of uh, education, student transportation. So I think, you know, in, ter in terms of you outlining the membership, it kind of puts a face on the fact that uh, a lot of these decisions are under, you know, local jurisdiction, as well as us also having to serve a, a couple of different, you know, regulatory areas, including education in, in some cases and transportation in other cases. Yeah, that, that's a great point. I mean, it's a common misconception uh, among the public, I would say, that education is much more of a top-down business than it really is. It's, it's uh, from a federal point of view, it's, it is, education in the United States is quite local. And even a lot of the states, uh, including my own home state of Florida, have actually way less regulatory authority over student transportation at the local level than people think they do. Yeah, for sure. Now, you know, I did mention, you know, COVID-19 and, you know, how it's really been the overriding issue all of us have been dealing with in 2020. Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about how COVID and the pandemic has changed what your members are involved in this year? All right. Well, like everybody, we're state directors and I, and uh, our members are mostly working from home, re working remotely. That's uh, not news to anyone. You mentioned Cybersecurity Infrastructure and Security Agency. We early, especially early in the pandemic, we were participating in biweekly calls that they were conducting as one of the lead agencies on the federal level that was coordinating pandemic response and guidance. We were successful in getting that agent collectively, not just us, but you and your NSTA and the National Association for Pupil Transportation. Collectively, we were successful in getting CISA to include within their essential workers guidance, uh, which is now on version 4.0 on their website that Kurt mentioned, that you mentioned, Kurt. We, we were successful in getting them to include school bus drivers as among the essential workers in the United States and the, the federal definition of essential workers. So our hope is that as the we move into the phase of deploying the vaccine throughout the United States, that even though that authority for how to deploy the vaccine has mostly been delegated to the state governors and the state level, we're hoping that 
anybody who has uh, any connections or influence or location with the policymakers within their state, particularly the governors, will make that point that school bus drivers are among the essential workers that uh, that CISA has defined. Certainly would be good to cite the specific references within that document and say, for that reason, because school bus drivers, even if schools aren't in session in some locations, they're delivering meals, they're enabling Wi-Fi hotspots for students uh, who, who may be uh, in limited in communities where that kind of broad, high-speed broadband and so on is limited. They're School bus drivers are essential workers like delivery truck drivers or anyone else. So we're hoping that they will get high priority for receiving the Moderna or the Pfizer uh, vaccines. You know, obviously we want, all of us want healthcare workers and others who are super high priority like that to get it first. And they will be, I'm confident. But, but within the transportation sector and within education, I think school bus drivers certainly have as much exposure to potential potentially getting the virus from all those kids on their buses, particularly this time of year with the windows rolled up and so on as anybody else. So that's a, that's a good thing to keep in mind. And, and that's a good tool. The essential workers guidance will be a good tool for your members and others to use in making those points with their policymakers. Yeah, it was interesting. We did hear back from some policymakers at, at the state level, because as I mentioned, we had you know, testified before the ACIP on it. The policymakers that we heard from at the state level says, hey, we're going to rely on what the recommendations that came from ACIP as well as CISA. So it's interesting that, you know, all these things are intertwined and it's important. So when we do outreach, and I know all of us have this challenge that we're inundated with requests for us to do this or that, but when we do reach out to our members and say, hey, can you do this? There's a reason behind it. And I think that was, you know, made clear you know, by the fact that the the couple states that I had seen who responded to, to inquiries from folks did say that they were going to rely on those two areas of recommendation, which was which was good, and and that's also a very positive development for school bus drivers in the student transportation community, as well as the fact that I'm going to switch gears a little bit. You know, an issue that as executive directors we're dealing with now is is that when we had certain live meetings, we didn't have them for the balance of 2020. You guys held a, a virtual conference recently. Do you have some reflections on that? How did it go? It, it certainly is no substitute for the kind of uh, interactions and networking uh, that goes on when you have a live conference where people can actually be together both during the day and after hours in person within the same time zone, which is a big advantage of in-person meetings is the fact that everybody can be on the same schedule. Right. But it went well. Our Fed, we called it our Federal Forums Plus. We didn't portray it as a substitute for our annual conference that would have been co-located with NAPTs in Grand Rapids this year had it been held. But we, but we did feel like that we needed to name it something different so that people wouldn't have the same expectations. As it turned out, it went really, really well. We had about, on average, 100 to 130 participants in any of, of our given sessions. We had four afternoons of sessions from 1 to 4 p.m. Eastern, and obviously that was designed to try to accommodate people on the West Coast, including including Hawaii, uh, although that's it was still pretty early in the morning for them. But nevertheless, it, uh, it went really well. Our core uh, theme and our core content was provided by the federal agencies uh, that, that have um, impact on student transportation, the Transportation Security Agency, uh, or administration, rather, the Environmental Protection Agency, the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration, 
National Transportation Safety Board, National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Those those five together did the meat of our presenting, and they did a phenomenal job. We got some really, really valuable input, particularly from FMCSA regarding drug and alcohol testing issues, entry-level driver training, which is for which the compliance deadline, as your members probably already know, is February of 2022, so it'll be here before we know it. National Transportation Safety Board covered the Rochester, Indiana crash and the circumstances surrounding it and what their recommendations are. For instance, this local school districts and, and contractors, if they're involved with routing issues, that they try to limit the number of stop on high-speed two-lane roadways that require students to cross the road to get to their to get on the bus. Not not that they prohibit them, but that they at least look at that when they're evaluating routes and stops and see if there are reasonable alternatives. So we got a lot of a lot of good, valuable information from those agencies, like as we normally would have at our live conference. We also had uh, a handful of extra sessions, you might say, that were late afternoon sessions, one on stress management and mental wellness, which is surprisingly was uh, one of our more popular topics. Not because, not surprisingly, because people aren't struggling with that, but just because we normally don't deal with those topics that aren't specific to transportation in our conference. But in this case, we felt like that's something everybody's dealing with right now is trying how, how to juggle everything and how to adapt to the new reality of of working from home if you still have a job, dealing with 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 issues if you don't, so family issues, et cetera, et cetera. We had one workshop on accessing federal grant in which we had the both Derek Graham, one a former state director in North Carolina, former president of NASDIPS, and Pam Fisher, the executive director of the Governor's Highway Safety Agency, or association rather. We had them present on how to how to access that federal 402 safety grant money that's administered by NHTSA. So that was that was pretty useful. And several people have told us, wow, I never thought about the fact that I could get some of those dollars for student transportation initiatives. We had a really good session with John Eisenberg, the executive director of the National Association of State Directors of Special Education, who just talked about all the issues and the ways that we can support each other, the needs of the individual needs of kids, students with disabilities, with our transportation services when uh, when they are required for them for those students to receive a free and appropriate public education. So it was a it was a good week. We we got pretty good. We got we did an evaluation. We got good reviews. We did uh, just uh, I think you probably already know this, Kurt, but your members may not. But we did archive the presentations and the recordings and. Those who were signed up for, for our virtual conference, if you want to call it that, our Federal Forums Plus, as well as all of our members have access to those presentations, in, either in PDF or PowerPoint format, as well as the, the Zoom uh, video recordings of the sessions themselves. So uh, nearly all the presenters uh, were very gracious in granting us access to do that. And so that content is still out there. And so if anybody... That, Anybody that um, has access to that content can certainly go there and, and look at those. But uh, apart from that, we had our usual business and board meetings, all the administrative stuff that goes into running an association and making it viable. And uh, it was it was it was well received. Our the evaluations that by the members were generally very positive. So thanks for asking. <laughs> no, it's, that's great. And your experience was uh, very similar, you know, to ours. It was, you know, uh, obviously not uh, optimal circumstances, but, you know, like everything else we're doing in 2020, making the best of it. So it sounds like you all did that. Now, moving on to an area where, you know, NSTA, NASDIPS, and NAPT, uh, as well as the OEM partners, you know, also, you know, partner up is through the American School Bus Council. So can you talk about your, you know, role 
within that group and and perhaps your vision for its impact overall? Yeah, well, as your members probably already know, your listeners, uh, the American School Bus Council was has been in place since, I think, 2006. Its mission, is, quite simply, is to promote yellow school bus ridership. The three pillars, three reasons, so to speak, for ASBC's existence are to get the word out to policymakers, parents, well as within the industry itself about the value of yellow school buses in providing not only the safest form of transportation, which is well documented, but also the most environmentally responsible form of student transportation on the yellow bus because of all the cars that would otherwise be on the road transporting that same number of kids. And most importantly, and I think this is where it has really picked up importance during the pandemic, is just access to education. For those children who depend on a school bus, you know, the approximately half the students in the United States, 25, 26 million kids, school bus is critical. So, you know, there, there are equity concerns. Uh, you know, I, we talked about some of the equity concerns with academic performance and I, when I, inciting the, the Fairfax study and others. But without the yellow school bus, oftentimes the kids who most need active learning and, to, and access to high-quality educational programs are the ones who won't, won't have it because of dual working parents and limited family means and so on and so forth. So the ASBC's mission, well-founded, it's, it's, it's not just about promoting yellow, selling more school buses. That's, that mean, although that certainly is a, maybe a corollary effect if we had more school buses available for kids, but there really are very, very good reasons. And it's something that I think uh, the message sells itself. Lately, the ASBC has been doing quite a lot of marketing with some really high-quality videos, and I would encourage your listeners to go to, if they aren't already familiar with it, to go to AmericanSchoolBusCouncil.com where you can find all these things. But uh, some really high-quality, professionally-made videos that talk about the value of school buses. There have been a lot of social media posts on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter. ASBC in the last few months through a contracted service provider has really, really ramped up the its visibility, I would say. And there are some big plans for that same kind of virtual visibility, uh, social media presence and so on, regarding the, the accomplishments of school buses and of school bus transportation and school bus drivers during the pandemic that will be sort of the focus of Love the Bus 2021 in February. So stay tuned. I'm sure your association, NSTA, and, and ours and others, Kurt, will be getting the word out that we're looking for good news stories out there. We want to, for people to, if they've got existing videos on the kinds of things drivers have been doing to deliver meals or learning resources or whatever it might be, or just get kids to school during the pandemic, we want to hear about them. And we'll be putting out the call for that and making it easy where you can just click on a link and send stuff in. For the future, my vision of ASBC is that it would, that it will continue doing that kind of marketing to make, make sure that as many people as possible are aware that the American school bus is a national success story. Uh, unique to this nation and most you know, in Canada, perhaps, that, that it's critical. And But I also hope that in addition to the marketing of that message, that American School Bus Council can morph into some of the loftier goals that we have about uh, having it serve as a central repository of all that critically needed data and information on how many school buses are out there, how many kids are being transported on them, how much does it cost, which states are using what kinds of service pro provision, you know, how many how many states, you know, have a combination of contracted, you know, private providers and public providers and which ones are they and in what numbers? And there's a real dearth of data in our industry, which is just partly due to the decentralized nature of education in general. But it's something I think ASBC should take on to be able to collect and be a central repository for that kind of information where 
the media and others, policymakers, whoever that, that need it can find it readily. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more about the dearth of uh, data in particular th- that would help guide some of the decision making that, that goes on at the f- federal and state level. So, yeah, for, for sure, I agree with you in, in that uh, kind of role moving forward for ASBC. And and so much great information, Charlie. Uh, we're winding down. I know that the pandemic has been the overriding issue for your association, my association, student transportation in general. I guess as we're hopeful that these vaccines are now being deployed at, at you know, at the, at the local level, you know, things will start to to really, you know, turn around. What do you think, you know, is your is your vision for, you know, the short-term vision for the industry as we move into 2021? I guess I would have to describe myself as cautiously optimistic. I don't think it's, you know, certainly the 2020, the 2020/21 slash school year, even toward the end of it, will probably not be perceived as as normal business as usual. But moving forward, I I think the the reasons why school buses have been around and have why student transportation providers, both private and public, have been a necessary part, an ancillary part of education over the years, that reason will continue to exist. I think we're hearing more and more from all different sectors about how important it is that we get kids back in school and school buses are part of that. So in the long term, I think that you know, we're going to continue to, to, there will be cycles as always, depending on the economy and, and the labor market and employment and unemployment and so on. But I think we'll continue to see at least, you know, half the kids, half the students in the United States uh, using a yellow school bus to get to school, 30, 30 to 40,000 new school buses purchased every year for that purpose, you know, buses being replaced. I think the environmental movement and whether the whether the new federal administration, uh, presidential administration has anything to do with this or not, I think it's clear that the trend is toward you know, alternative fuels and, elect- and uh, electric-powered school buses seem to be the way of the future from everything we're hearing from original equipment manufacturers and others. So I think we're going to see positive trends in student transportation, both in not only in terms of getting kids to and from school, but getting them to and from school on on even more healthy buses from an airborne emissions point of view. So I think electric buses are gonna be a big factor over the years. Obviously there are a lot of uh, uh, financial constraints right now. They're gonna, we're gonna have to have more projects like the Dominion Energy Project uh, in Virginia where they're, uh, they've implemented creative financing schemes that will, and where we're gonna have vehicle to grid technologies like I just saw from Con Edison in New York with one of the providers up there in White Plains where school buses are gonna be providing energy back to the grid. So much like people's solar arrays on their homes are doing in certain locales. So I think it's, I think the positive, the outlook for student transportation and the school bus industry, so to speak, is very positive in the long term. Great, and once again, for the listeners, our guest today at NSTA, the bus stop, Charlie Hood, Executive Director of NASDIPS. Charlie, I'm wishing you and your family a very happy holiday season. Thanks for joining us at NSTA, the bus stop, and look forward to working with you further in 2021 on a lot of the issues that we talked about today. Absolutely. Happy holidays to you and all your members and families, and best everybody in 2021.